0: why so we're having Super Saturday, uh, you know, outreach and teen outreach and Easter outreach and, uh, you know, Serenity outreach and all kinds of things. Why? We want people to hear the gospel. And so we're going to be, we're going to be focused on that. Praise the Lord. All right. Acts chapter 14 this evening. Let me just go back if I can and review a little bit. Last week, we, we started at um, the, the, <laughs> Let me start that again. We started Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. How many brought your maps back from last week? That's a hard question. Oh, some of you. Good. I'm impressed. All right. Um, so we started Paul and Barnabas off. Am I on, Brother Aunt, Brother uh, Daniel? No. Is it me? Is it you? Testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing. I might be off. Okay, let's try that one. There we go. All right. We're good. All right. So... Uh, Paul and Barnabas were in, uh, let's take a little quiz here tonight, all right? Where, what, where were they at? What church were they in uh, when the Holy Spirit called them to leave? Anybody know? Say it. Okay, Antioch of Syria. Very good. We have to differentiate because there is another Antioch. So they were there serving. Um, now, we don't know for sure, but they were probably in that church anywhere between, from eight to 14 years, okay? I, I, don't mean, I mean, Paul was, excuse me, um, Barnabas comes up, and he serves there for a little while. We mentioned that already. God said, let me have them. I want you to send them out. We talked about what that means, and so they went. Uh, let's review then. What was their first stop? Where, where did they go? This is important. you got to know this stuff, all right? So let's talk about it. Say again. Cyprus, okay, by way of a little town on the coast by the name of Seleucia. Remember that? So they walked from Antioch to Seleucia, or rode their donkey or whatever they did. And uh, then they got on a ship and they went to Cyprus. What was the name of the town in Cyprus? Yes, sir. Salamis, right. That was on the far east coast. So they went to Salamis. Uh, Did the Bible record anything happening there? I'm I'm making you work tonight. Making you... Uh, was that in Salamis? I don't think that was in Salamis. I think that was the next one. I may be wrong. Help me out. Let's talk about it. Was it in Salamis? No. Okay. I think that was in Paphos. All right. Which is the next one. So then they walked all the way across the island, or they—I don't know. What do you think they did? Did they ride a donkey? I don't know. The Bible didn't say. So they went across the other side to the west side, Paphos. All right. Now, brother Lubasi, what happened in Paphos? Yes there you go. Good. That's good. Right. And remember the Roman uh, provincial leader, I think his name was, a, his title was deputy, right? Uh, what was his name? Sergius Paulus. Do I have your brains going yet here? Okay. I want you to get in here with me. Okay. Sergius Paulus was there. He called for Paul and Barnabas to come and teach them. And this guy who was the sorcerer by the name of Elymas, right? Uh, another name as well, but Anyway, Elemas was there. And what did he do uh, when Paul, part of us were trying to share the gospel with Sergius Paulus? So what was he doing? Yes, yes. He was actively opposing the gospel. Paul said, basically, how long are you going to resist the Bible, right? The gospel. How long are you going to resist the, the truth? And he was smit with blindness. The Bible says he's going away trying to find somebody to lead him. Sergius Paulus was amazed, believed, He got saved, and right then, God began to do a great work there. So he left Paphos. Where did they go? They got on a ship from Paphos, and they went to Perga, okay? And that's up on the mainland, all right? So they went up to Perga, and uh, they were there for a little bit. Then they went to another town called Antioch of Pisidia. Very good, all right? So I want you to get this. When somebody says Paul's first journey, I want you to know these names, all right? Uh, because this is really important. So they, he went to Antioch of Pisidia, and what happened there? He preached in a synagogue. I'll tell you that. You remember? Well, it's a little bit, a little bit tricky, isn't it? Go ahead. Anybody know? Okay, so here's what happened. I kind of skipped over this a little bit, but. Paul preached a whole message. That was all of chapter 13, the latter part of chapter 13, really. Paul preaching this message in this tabernacle, or I should say this synagogue. Now, let me say this real quick. Hold on to your thought, Brother brother uh, Labasi. He was talking to Jews in the synagogue. Now, there were some Greeks in there, some Gentiles. But if you look at his message, the message went back to the law Of God, All right. And that's very interesting because what we're going to find out is when he was speaking to the Jews, he talked about the God of the law, the Old Testament, the prophecy. But when he was speaking to the Gentiles, we're going to find out in chapter 14, he goes back to the creation. That is the God of all the universe, right? Because the God of the law would mean nothing to the Gentiles, but the God of creation does mean something to them. So I'm just saying this. In every situation when he was preaching, he, he understood who he was speaking to, and he used that in a way to get the gospel to them. So in other words, he started from two different locations, right? But he ended up always at the same place. Who was that? The Lord Jesus. He always ended up at salvation through the Lord Jesus. That was always the location or the destination of his messages. So now that happened, but then, were you going to say so? That's right. And the Gentiles were excited about that and they were happy. But we also know that they arose, there arose a persecution. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the Gentiles and the Jews, um, in verse number, oh, let's go on. They shook off the, oh yeah, verse number 50 of chapter 13. The Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. And they shook off the dust and they went on their way. By the way, shaking off the dust is a direct obedience to Christ's command. When he sent them out, he said, listen, if somebody doesn't hear you, they don't receive it, don't waste your time there. Shake off the dust and move to the next place. In other words, don't sweat it, don't, don't fight it, just move on to the next place. I think that's great strategy, isn't it? And that's what the Bible's speaking of here. That doesn't violate the idea of going to every creature and preaching the gospel, but some people won't receive it. All right. And then they went to Iconium. Now, this is the next step here in his journey. And we kind of left him there in Iconium uh, last week. And I said we were going to introduce a couple new uh, places this week. And the two that we know about are Lystra and Derby. All right. We've heard more about them. Does anybody know offhand anything about Lystra or Derby? Just give me what you know real quick. Maybe we don't know anything. All right, Phil. All right, he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. Lydia was, uh, I think Lydia was there. You might be right. What about a boy by the name of Timothy? This is Timothy's hometown, Lystra. Okay, Um, so let's go into verse uh, one of chapter 14 and look real quick at this. Bible says it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together unto the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. Now let's go back to Iconium for a minute. Listen carefully. Look at what verse 1 says. They went into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake. In other words they spoke in such a way that a great multitude both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. Listen. Preaching tonight by the Apostle Paul, had a very directed purpose. And he spoke in such a way that it directed them to believe. Now, not all believed, but may I tell you tonight that the purpose of preaching the gospel is not just to give someone the information. Can I tell you that again? Sometimes we fall into the trap of just saying, I'm going to give you the information, what you do with it is fine. I want you to see that Paul's preaching, and when I say preaching, I just simply meant his witness. To those that were there and hearing him, heard, uh, in other words, it was directed so that they would make a decision at the end. I think that's the way we ought to be. Anytime we're giving the gospel to someone, as they understand and as they receive it, always ought to come down to that invitation. It always ought to come down to that place of would you receive it? Would you take this? Would you accept what God's given to you? I want to challenge you on that because I fall into that same trap. And I, it's not wrong to plant the seed. It's not wrong to water the seed. But I think always there ought to be an opportunity to draw the person, draw the person in who wants to believe. Not everybody will, but those who will need to have the opportunity. Look at verse number two. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So those that didn't believe said, yeah, these guys are they're causing problems They're undermining the true word of God, the Old Testament. God is is the God of the Old Testament, the law, and they're telling us that we don't have to do all this stuff. And so they're stirring this up. Look at verse 3. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I want to talk about a couple things here. First of all, the fact that they were speaking boldly. Does that ring a bell? Would you turn very quickly in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4? And I just want to remind you of something that the disciples prayed for back in chapter 4. Look at verse 31. That's the, towards the end of chapter 4. All right, notice, let's go back to verse number 29. And now, Lord... Behold their threatenings and grant thy servants that with all what? Boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with? Boldness. All right, so the prayer during Persecution was not, Lord, save us from this persecution, spare us from this, but rather, Lord, would you grant us boldness? Now, can I tell you something this evening, young uh, people, church tonight? Here it is: when we're giving the gospel tonight, we're either speaking with boldness, or I think we're letting the word of God fall from its place of authority that it ought to have. Do I want to, can I remind you tonight that when Paul was speaking to Sergius Paulus, there was somebody getting in the way of that by the name of Elymas and Paul didn't just say, well, this may not be the right time, or I'll come back at a different time. He said, how long are you going to resist the truth? This person wants to hear it, and you're actively avoiding it you're actively causing it to be shut down. And I'm saying that boldness comes not because someone is just feeling it that day. The boldness comes because the Holy Spirit is giving power to speak the word of God with truth. And I'm gonna tell you tonight, that's the way we ought to be presenting the gospel. I'm not talking about brash. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm saying that when the word of God is given, this is powerful, this is important. And there ought not to be anything that comes in the way of that when a person wants to hear it. And that was the prayer of the folks back in Acts chapter 4. And may I tell you that in Acts chapter 14, we're seeing the answer to that prayer. Isn't that a blessing? I think tonight that our prayer ought to be, Lord, would you grant me boldness? Not just opportunity, but would you grant me boldness as I speak to people so that when the word of God is given, it can be given with authority. That's the important part. And that's what Paul and the people were experiencing here. They spoke and preached with boldness and uh, praise the Lord for it. Now, and notice the testimony was for the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders again, answer to prayer. Matt say this as well, that signs and wonders were never the end goal. Matter of fact, signs and wonders, they don't produce conviction, nor do they produce salvation. You know what I'm talking about? We could see signs and wonders all day. But unless it's coming from God's word or the word of his grace, it will not yield any fruit. So it wasn't that they had to have these signs and wonders to be the great showman or the son, you know, some sort of authority. What it was, was the preaching of God's word accompanied with these signs of authority and confirmation produced faith and conviction in the hearts of those that heard it. Do you remember Sergius Paulus? He was sitting there. He was about to hear the word of God and as he was hearing the gospel, Elymas was uh, kind of getting in the way. Elymas went blind and that paired with the word of God that he had heard produced faith in his heart and he received the word of God. I just believe that God can use it. Now today, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We, uh, I, I believe in things that are supernatural. I believe they're important, but I do not believe that needs to be the confirmation today for the word of God that we have. It's complete We have everything we need, and we don't need anything else. And so praise the Lord for that. Look at verse 4. The multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews, and part held with the apostles. Some were saved, believing, some were not. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them. So not only was there a problem against Paul and Barnabas, but now you had sides, all right? They were getting ready to pick up arms against each other. You had the believers, and you had the Jews that were unbelieving, and they're going to start stoning each other. Now, that's not good. How many know that our weapons are not carnal, right? <laughs> Amen. So we don't, we're not going to do this, all right? So what did Paul do? Uh, notice the Bible says there, verse um, 6, they were aware of it. In other words, they became aware of what was happening, and they... "...fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia, and uh, unto the region that lieth round about." All right, so for, if, you, if you find in your maps, they went from Iconium then, which is where all this was happening, down about 18 miles southwest to Lystra. Let me give you a little bit of scope here. From Antioch of Pisidia over to Iconium is about 100 miles, significant distance, from, Iconia, uh, from yeah, Iconium down to Lystra, about 18 miles, okay? So now they're here. Now they enter into this city. They left all the tumult back there, so they thought. They get into Lystra. Now let's read what happens in Lystra here, okay? And we go forward. Um, and uh, they were aware of they went to Lystra and Derby and so forth. Verse number eight, uh, seven, what'd they do there? We better hunker down. Let's back off a little bit. Let's, let's shelter, we need some rest and, and, and recovery from all this problem. No, verse 7 says they preached the gospel there as well, right? So they didn't let up, they just went to the next city and they preached the gospel. Verse 8, and there sat certain man, at Lystra, an impotent man, in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Uh, the same heard Paul speak. Now this just means he overheard Paul preaching, speaking of this Jesus, and steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, verse 10, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. That's amazing, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Now, why? Verse 11, When the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of the Lycaonians, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of man. Oh, no, no, no. Now, Iconium and, and Lystra and Derby these were, these were cities that were more like the Gentile, or Greeks, I should say, more than the Romans. That was all the Roman province. But the, the, the Greeks had a heavy, as you know, the Greek gods, right? And so they had a lot of superstition and a lot of things that were in their, kind of their culture. And they worshipped some of these false gods, Zeus and, you know, some of these other ones. And so when this miracle happened, immediately they went to their culture and they said, all right, these are the gods that we worship come down in the flesh. Now what they recognized was what happened was divine. It was supernatural. That's good, right? And then the Bible says later on that they called for their priests and they brought garlands and um, oxen to sacrifice. Now have you ever thought about where did the sacrifice thing come from? I want you to see that even the, even the pagan cultures had remnants of what Jesus, God had given to his people way back in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, sacrifice was even before the law. I believe God sacrificed the first lamb in the Garden of Eden. And Isn't it interesting that even though people have and cultures have departed from the truth, there has been a remnant of that teaching, that kind of thing, all the way through. And it's been perverted in some ways. It's been misunderstood. Sometimes it's been attributed to false gods. But it's that remnant of what God started way back in the early part of of human creation. Now, I thought that was very interesting. And so what we find here is them calling for the priests of these gods. We go on, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius. And they thought maybe, I think, uh, some historians, Jupiter was a little bit of a portly god and a little older, and that they said may be because now we see that maybe Barnabas was a little portly. I don't know if that's true or not, but poor Barnabas, here we are picking on him, right? But the fact is, whatever the case might be. But they called one Jupiter, one Mercurius, and um, notice, because he was the chief speaker, and the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought the oxen and garlands under the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people. Now, They all started this, and notice verse 14, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard, they rent their clothes and ran among the people crying out. Now, here was the temptation. The temptation is, hey, they think we're supernatural gods, and in the pragmatic mindset of some people, they might have said, well, maybe we could use that to our advantage. Let's let them think we're gods, and then we'll talk to them about the true God. Now, the fact is, Paul and Barnabas realized right away, no, anything done at all, even in sincerity, that's to an unknown false god is unacceptable. We cannot give that, uh, we can't take that, we can't have any of that, so they, in an act of really show of rejection, they rip their clothes. Now, that's pretty, when a Jew rent their clothes, that was the, kind of the highest degree of, of mourning or, or, or anxiety or anxiousness that they could have. I mean, just you can imagine, right? And even in our culture, that would be something. And so that's what they did. And uh, he said, uh, sirs, why do you do these things? We are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities. And I can imagine him pointing to the garland and to the oxen and to the priests that are there and saying, turn from these vanities, these false gods and turn to the true and living God. And notice the Bible says there, the living God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all things that are therein. So here's what he's talking about. Remember I said earlier, now he's talking to the Greeks, the Gentiles, who didn't know anything about the God of the law, but they know about creation. And they recognize that supernaturalness comes from a a deity. And creation comes from a deity. They recognize all that. So Paul's just saying, take your eyes off of these vanities and put them on the true living God who made all these things. That's a blessing. And we talk about his, again, his boldness. And then he continues his preaching there, verse 16, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven. And fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Did you hear what he preached? He preached not only a living God who is sovereign over all things, but he preached a loving God who loved them even though they were in sin. And I tell you, that's the wonderful blessing of the the gospel truth, right? A God who's holy and living will allow us to continue in our sin all the while doing good for us. The sun comes out. The rain comes down. The plants come up. We eat and fill our belly with good things and happiness. Isn't that goodness of God? We don't deserve any of these things. And yet a God who loves us gives us all these. And that's the message of the gospel as he gives them to us. And notice in verse number 18. And by the way, verse 17 tells us something very powerful. That goodness, are you listening, is a witness of God. It's, it's going to be a witness against those who are lost and continue to be lost, but it is a witness for salvation to those who want it. Isn't that a blessing? That's what the Bible says often. The Lord Jesus, who is a stepping stone to, to many, but a stumbling block to many as well. How can the same person be both? Well, it's all about faith, whether you receive it or not. And so for us who believe, creation is a witness of God's glory. His goodness is a witness of His love for us. To those that reject Him and into eternity, it will be a witness against them and their, and their continued wickedness all right, and rebellion against Him. Verse 18, with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. So they barely got it stopped in time. Whew, well, that was close. The people said, oh, okay. Well, that sounds good. Look at verse 19. You ready? After all that, they got them quieted down. They preached the gospel. Nobody, uh, nobody gets saved yet that we know about. But now we find verse 19 coming from 100 miles away are the people that caused problems in Antioch. Notice the Bible says there, they came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So on their way from Antioch, they stopped in Iconium and said, hey, we got this guy that's causing problems. The, oh, he was just here. Yeah, we had a big, big whatever you call it, uprising. Well, come on with us. Let's go. Where'd he go? I think he's down in Lystra. All right, let's go. 118 miles they walked or rode or whatever they did. And here they show up right after Paul's done talking about this sacrifice that they shouldn't have. And notice, they persuaded the people in having stoned Paul threw him or drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Just like that. I mean, done. Paul's dead. Paul is stoned. They come down here to Lystra and they stir up people, and they talk about him, and all of a sudden, Paul goes from Paul and Barnabas go from being a god and worshipped to being literally dead. Now, I'm saying literally dead. I believe. Now I'm going to talk about this for the remainder of our time here. I literally believe that he died. All right, I'm going to tell you why. But here he is, stone in the city, dragged outside and left, supposing he was dead. In other words, from there. Perspective, he was not breathing, he wasn't moving, his body was mangled such a way, he was done. It was dead. Now, I don't know about Barnabas here, who knows what happened to him, but the Bible says, let's read about that, and I'm going to talk about it just for a few minutes before we finish. The Bible says in verse number 20, howbeit as the disciples stood round about him. So, obviously, there were people in Lystra who were saved, maybe they were already being discipled, maybe they were newly saved maybe they had come along, who knows, but there were disciples in Lystra and they came along, the Bible says there, uh, uh, stood round about him and it says he rose up and came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now it's not like he was dead and needed a week or two weeks or six weeks to recover. Isn't that amazing? It was that he was left for dead he got up, walked back into the city, and he slept that night. The next day, he got up and walked another, I don't know, 20 miles down a derby. That's amazing to me, isn't it? All right, now, let me just talk about this real quick, and uh, then we'll finish up here. Paul had an experience that he testified of in the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, that experience was that there was a time, and he talked about it in the third person, there was a man that he knew. And it was above 14 years ago, and he was taken up into the third heaven. Remember that? And if you were to do the math, 1 Corinthians was written about 14, a little bit more than 14 years after this would have been happened. We think this was hap- happened about 48 A.D. is when Paul, 47 or 48 A.D. is when Paul got stoned on his first missionary journey. So as he was writing the epistle or the, the, the book of Corinthians, He testified what I believe happened to him, and I believe it was on this occasion. Now, I I cannot prove it. I'm not going to have a battle about it. I don't even want to have a debate about it. If you have some other facts, I'm open to it. But I believe this was the time when Paul was taken by God supernaturally up into the third heaven to see the risen Savior. Now, this had to happen for several reasons. Number one, Paul noticed that he was an apostle, and he was very convinced of this apostleship, in order to be an apostle, you would have had to see the living Christ or the risen Christ, and you would have been, been having—excuse me—you would have had to have been given a specific mandate, an authority from Jesus Himself to do what He was going to do. Paul didn't have that yet, and so supernaturally God allowed Paul. He said, "I'm an apostle," and His testimony was, "As one born out of due time." In other words, I was not there to see the Savior before He went to heaven. I was in a different place, but I was allowed to see that Savior in a supernatural way so that I could have the same authority and the same credentials as every other apostle had that walked with Christ when he was here. And so I believe that it was this event that God used. By the way, something that was horrific. If I was a disciple in Lystra that day, I would have thought to myself, this is, I can't believe this just happened in my city. Here's the Apostle Paul, or we, they didn't know him as Apostle Paul at that time. Here's this great preacher, and I mean he just led me to the Lord, or whatever. And I mean he's dead in in the streets, and they're dragging him out. What a violent thing! Have you ever thought about that? There's big news now about this Emmett Till bill that just got signed into law. Um, you know, and it was an awful story if you know the story of Emmett Till back in the '60s, or even before that. I'm not sure, but uh, it's just now been signed into law, and. And whatever, whatever, ever. But it, the whole thing was that he was beaten to a pulp, this 14-year-old boy, and killed. And his mom wanted the casket left open. And if you see a picture of it, it's just a, she did it on purpose to see what they did to my boy. And I got thinking about this as I'm studying for this. Can you imagine what the Apostle Paul must have looked like after being stoned? I'm sure he, I, maybe broken things, blew, I'm swollen, who knows? And I can imagine the violence of what he looked like in that situation. I just want to make this real to us. We talk about Paul being stoned and shipwrecked. I mean, he got stoned. You know what I'm talking about? Physical stones thrown at him, hitting him, killing him. That does something to the human body. But I'll tell you right now, if God allowed Paul to go into heaven while this was happening, Paul didn't feel any of that. Or if he did, it was for a very short time. Because the, the, the things the Bible says he said that I saw are not lawful for me to be uttered. Can you imagine that? But let me ask you this. How many would say, Paul, if you had your choice, would you choose not to be stoned? Paul would say no, because the experience I had with God far outweighed any of the stoning that I experienced. And I believe it was because of God's supernatural power that he was able to get up Literally maybe be revived. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. That's, that's why I believe that Paul actually died. I think he was in heaven for a time and God allowed him to be resurrected. I, again, I'm not going to base my whole doctrinal stand on that one thing, but I think it's, it's fair enough to say. And, and if Paul saw the Lord and was absent, these guys were standing there. It didn't take long, I, maybe a couple hours. He was up in heaven. God allowed him to be revived. And here he gets up. I don't know what he did, maybe bleeding, who knows? Walked back in, maybe got some first aid, got some rest that night, maybe took a soak in the Epsom salts, I don't know. Got up the next morning, went about his business. Now isn't that just like the Lord? We don't need pity. Now I'm not saying Paul was like, you know, bless God, I'm just gonna press on. I think God literally gave him the strength to do it. I think God revived him and healed him. Now I'm saying all that to say, God works sometimes, and here's the whole point of this story. God works sometimes in our deepest, darkest trials to bring about a presence of God in his presence that we cannot know other than that. You see, doesn't that seem a little sadistic? Doesn't it seem like a little bit of, God just Why can't He just show Himself to me? Because I believe our sinful nature and our humanity is such where we literally need to be broken, failed, whatever the extent is, in order for us to really experience God. I think Paul, really that situation in in Lystra was redeemed in the fact that he was, I think that was the time he went to heaven. And God used him in that way. So I'm saying all that to say, despite that, what he looked like on the outside in the bad situation, how everybody thought this was the end and it was awful. It was really what God was using in Paul's life, really to launch him into this apostleship that God wanted him to have and to begin to write the books of the, the 14 books of the New, Te- or, yeah, New Testament that we have today. It's amazing, isn't it? That God used that very dark hour of trial and difficulty persecution to be the closest and the most real situation in Paul's life. Now, Having said all that, now I, there was something else. There's a little bit of surmising here, but we know that Timothy, young Timothy, was from Lystra, and it's it's not surprising to me that when Paul comes back through Lystra, all right, and, and I'm gonna we're gonna quickly be done here. Well, let's just read real quick here. Um, when they had preached the gospel to that city, talking about Derby, th- they had taught many. They returned again to where I'm in verse number 21. They went back to Lystra. Wait a minute, I thought he got stoned there. They did. But by this time, I think all of the people that came from Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, they'd probably gone back home, right? And so the stirrup was no longer there. Whatever the case might be, he went into Lystra and uh, went back. Why did, you, why did he think he went back there? I'll tell you why I think he went back there. I think the people that believed when he was there the first time, they needed to be taught and encouraged because the Bible says there, uh, again, I lost my place. 21. And, And then they continued to Iconium and to Antioch, and I'll pick back up. So they basically retraced their steps, all right? So they got as far as Derby, went back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch, right? Into the jaw teeth of the lion, so to speak, right? But notice what they were doing. Confirming, verse 22, the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom you talk about a you talk about what are those called a an object lesson <laughs> Paul didn't need some sort of object lesson he was the object lesson there was people that got saved in antioch and iconium and lystra and what was he doing i got to get back there because i got to make sure those people really understood confirming that is you know what that means assurance of salvation you know what happened when I was here the other day? You know, that, you know that decision you made? Remember that prayer you cried out when I was there and that heart change you had? Remember that? That's salvation. Let me tell you about that salvation. And let me tell you, you need to continue in this way. You need to continue learning about the Lord and just keep growing and let's keep going. And you say, it's gonna be hard. Listen, Paul didn't preach a prosperity gospel. <laughs> he couldn't. Paul, you got saved, you're serving the Lord, you got stoned to death. You got run out of Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium. You yeah, people who wanting to pick up stuff and stone you there. Paul didn't have a prosperity gospel. He said, you're going to get into the kingdom of God through much tribulation. I tell you, that's a different message than what's being preached many times. But Paul was a perfect living object lesson of that. And notice the Bible says in verse 23, I love this, they ordained them elders in every church. Can I tell you tonight, uh, these aren't, <laughs> excuse me, these aren't experienced Bible college graduates. These are newly saved people in every, in every city. And what he saw was these were people, there were people who took this very seriously. And they were growing day by day. I mean literally growing day by day. They were seeing growth in their Christian life Exponentially. And Paul confirmed them and said, I'm going to set you up. I need you to be a leader, not a pastor necessarily. I need you to be a leader to lead this group of people right here. I need you to take them on in their walk with the Lord. Would you do that for me? I'll help you, but I want you to do that. And every city he ordained elders and made sure that they were taken care of. I love it. And then notice they prayed and fasted. They commended them to the Lord. Paul was this guy. He comes in, stirs everything up. Sets everything up, pray for you, I'll be back. Now let's go to the next one, right? And that's just how he did his his ministry, setting them up and and just planting these churches everywhere. Let's hurry on. Verse 24, they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, all right? Pamphylia is the region in Perga there, all right? So this is the whole region of Pamphylia. And so they came back there. When they had preached the word in Perga, that's the city, they went down to Ataliah, now that's a, uh, a real close to Perga, Ataliah is right on the coast, I don't know if you have your map out, you can see that, but it was right on the coast, and then they got on a ship from Ataliah, and they went all the way back over to Antioch of Syria, where they had originally left. So we have essentially chapters 13 and 14, the very first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. How many would say that's been a pretty exciting journey? Now, does anybody have any clue about how long this journey lasted? Rough estimate? Range? Three years? No? Huh? Does it say there? I don't know if it says or not. Oh. Yeah, 45 to 48. So, rough, these are rough estimates, but what I've read is anywhere from uh, eight months to about a year, from eight months to about a year. And that was the time. Now, can you imagine, here comes Paul. I don't think he really could give, like, you know, it's not like he's going to call up the pastor in Antioch and say, hey, I'm going to be at church, or can I have a meeting, you know? He, he just shows up. Can you imagine showing up one Sunday? Paul gets back into Antioch. Paul and Barnabas. Word gets around. Paul and Barnabas are back in town. Whoa, I can't wait to talk to him. Can you imagine the stories that they can tell? The Bible says there, look at verse number um. They sailed from Antioch. They lay and been recommended to the grace of God for the work where they had been fulfilled. So verse 27, when they were come and had gathered to the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done. As a matter of fact, it sounds to me like it wasn't even a Sunday. It was like Paul maybe showed up on a Tuesday, Paul and Barnabas. Hey, everybody, Paul and Barnabas are in town. We're going to have a church service tonight or this afternoon. Gather everybody together. Let's find out what happened. And the Bible says there, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they abode long time with the disciples. Open the door of faith to to the Gentiles. What was Paul saying? Remember what happened here in Antioch? Remember why Barnabas had to come up here from Jerusalem? Confirm what had happened? The Holy Spirit being given to all you guys? That's happening all over the known world. And it's exciting. In other words, Paul's saying what happened here was just a... Sampling, we witnessed God throwing the door open of salvation to everyone we talked to. You should have seen it, guys. We had people getting saved left and right, yeah, but paul what 's that scarf? Oh, I just got stoned to death, but you should have seen the people getting saved i 'm telling you they were coming left and right, but Paul they wanted to they wanted to you know kick you out, and these people wanted to you know whatever oh, it don 't matter, you should have seen what God was doing i 'm not saying he was ambivalent to all those trials i 'm just saying, can you imagine the realness? Of seeing God work in those situations, and how that affected the saints in Antioch, I want to tell you today, Church. God's not done doing this. We we're a planted church, okay? So we're like Lydia and, or Lydda, or uh, no, Lystra. Sorry, in Derby and all those places where there was a church. Plant. That's us. But we can see people saved today. We can see the work of God go on, and it's exciting when we hear back from people who are seeing things like this. And you know, things like this are happening right now. There's churches being planted like this, people being saved like this still in the unreached people groups of the earth today. And it's exciting when we hear of church planters, and especially not just missionaries who are planted in one place, but who go into these unreached people groups, and man, they see people get saved and villages reached. and It's just amazing to watch God do this. It's exciting. And, and the gospel rolls on. Amen? So we bring Paul back, and here he is after a very eventful trip. And praise the Lord. We're going to pick up. Now, he has to deal with some church problems in chapter 15. Um, and, uh, you know, there's still some problem in Jerusalem. He's going to have to make a trip down to Jerusalem and testify about some of the stuff God's doing. They just can't get their head wrapped around this yet. But it'll turn out well. And we'll, we'll come back after April and look at Acts 15. All right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your love. Thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul and what has happened Lord in these just these months that Paul and Barnabas have traveled around and Lord I thank you for the just the witness of your word thank you for the movement of the gospel around the world in this area Lord would you bless I pray even in this area as we um, establish again in a more Lord just in a more consecrated way and dedicated way to begin again or or to establish a, a consistent witness of the gospel in our area. Lord, would you empower it, I pray. We're not under any illusion that this is easy, that it's gonna be well-received by everyone, but Lord, it is our task and our mission to preach the gospel to every creature. Help us to be wise, help us to be bold. I pray that you would empower us, we pray. We look forward to what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I'm a little past my time. I went over by two minutes. Um...